Welcome to the Together for Good podcast, a podcast specifically designed to inspire, challenge, and uplift you during your daily walk of faith. Today's episode is something we haven't done in a little while. It's a poem that I wrote a while back that's based on Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. You may have heard some of these before. They're a little interesting, poetic, rhythmic, and it's kind of retelling. It's almost a sermon in some ways. But what I wanted to do with this one, as I was recording this poem, I realized... You know, there's a lot baked in here that I want to make sure we have some understanding of. So following the poem, I'm going to come back on and do a little theological debrief of this particular poem that I wrote, just because there's some pieces to it that I've learned over the years in terms of how Jesus calls us and how that works that I just think is really cool and really important. And and I don't know if it'll come through as clearly the first time you hear the poem. Uh, So do stick around. I also wanted to make sure that you had a substantial episode. You're used to these episodes being at least 15 minutes long and the poem itself is only about five minutes or so. Um, So stick around after the poem and we'll have a, we'll come back on here and have a theological debrief. But first, Here's a poem based on Matthew chapter 4, titled, Follow Me. This poem is based on Matthew chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. It's called, Follow Me. In between mending nets, waiting for bites and patching their torn clothing, Peter, James, Andrew, and John were probably lost in feelings of self-loathing. After all, they were disappointments. Fisherman was not the sought-after title in Galilee. A lifetime of long nights and fish guts was not the dream. It was not the poster on the wall for the little boys of Capernaum. It was the role for those who were just, well, too dumb. And please remember that at this point in history, following Jesus was not the contemporary tune or trendy tattoo or tweet that it is today. There was no accompanying slogan to shout or decal to display. The disciples didn't leave their boats because following Jesus was a direct flight to privilege. They left their boats because being a fisherman was the same as failing. Follow me is all Jesus had to say. And then Peter, John, Andrew, and James left their job, their life, their family. That phrase, follow me, wasn't some creepy request of a man wandering aimlessly on the beach. Follow me was an offer to author a new chapter off the water. A life of meaning. A chance to be something, something more. And so, when the rabbi at the proverbial front door offered a chance for Peter, John, James, and Andrew to advance beyond their current story of soars and sails and sea, the soon-to-be disciples dragged their boats ashore and stepped into a new, unexpected chapter in their story. That day, there was a deeper magic at work in Galilee. The God of all time was pulling from the future, dragging those young men into a new reality. The call from Jesus spoke a new promise. Your life matters. You are not nobody. Follow me, you fishermen, and we will fish for women and men. Who you are and who you've been will not be forgotten. It will be recast and broadened. Follow me into something new, Jesus says, to Andrew, John, James, Peter, and you. We might claim that we want an epic to enter, 
But do we realize that what we actually yearn for is the invitation the disciples received that day? The chance to join our story to the divine mystery. God wants this too. The calls from the divine are not on the decline. God still longs to entwine our lives with the words of the song that launched creation. Yet the screams of our ego persist. (laughs) I am important. My past is not abhorrent. Where I was before and my constant inner war and this need to explore. And it's enough to make us ignore. The invite to tether our story to the God of all time and glory. As insignificant as your moment in time may seem to be, the author of all time cares deeply. As your ego once said, you are important. Your past is not abhorrent. It just, God chuckles, lacks a little imagination. A call from God reaches into the very depths of your insecurity. But rather than mock and shame and defame and harp on the same refrain, the call affirms your past and present. And it pulls you into a future that's incandescent. Follow me, Jesus says, into a future that shines as our stories and who you have been intertwine like a weaver pulling many different threads together. And even though you didn't ever appreciate certain strands, now you can see that what God placed in your hands might not have meant much back then, but when the great artist gets a hold of these seemingly worthless strings and loops and threads and ties and pulls, God's call is not a push or a shove. It's a gentle tug from a future reality that God's already seen because God's already there. And all the currents and threads of your story are braided together into a more complete allegory. The call from God invites the you that was and the you that is to become the you that you were always meant to be. Okay, so there was a poem that I wrote about Jesus calling his first disciples. And this is something that I'm really passionate about, that I've thought a lot about. What you might not know about me, before um, part of my ministry career, for a period of time, I worked as the director of admissions at the Lutheran Theological Seminary in Philadelphia. That seminary um, since has merged and is now known as United Lutheran Seminary. I worked there um, after the merger for a little while, too. And so, so much of my job as the director of admissions at a seminary, I had to have a lot of conversations with people about their sense of call. Like, what is God doing in your life? You want to go to seminary? One of my favorite things to tell people when they would call my office or when I would call them to ask about their interest in attending seminary, I'd tell them, i say, if you think you might be called to, to be a pastor or to work full-time in ministry, I can assure you that you almost definitely have a call to ministry 
because normal people don't think like that. <laughs> but it's really true. I mean, that sense of call can be very weird. Like, what a strange life that I lead as a pastor. Uh, what has God gotten me into? But the sense of call is actually bigger than just going into ministry as well. We all have a sense that God calls us to our different work, our, our vocations, so to speak. I've been doing on this podcast many interviews with Bethany members, having them talk about how their line of work is an expression of their faith, how they live out their their faith as as um, physical therapists. I had to think of it for a second, or as uh, teachers or educators or school counselors. You get the idea. And so, with all of this, though, we have this real sense. Part of our Christian understanding is that yes, God does call us and lead us and guide us to the spaces and places where we need to be, where God wants us to be. And that can be a very strange understanding. Oftentimes we hear that and we think that God is just playing chess with us, kind of moving and shuffling the pieces around and we have no agency. So we just kind of end up wherever God needs us. That's not exactly what I'm talking about. And in this poem, what I really get at is this sense that God is offering us an opportunity to live more fully into the person we were always created to be. I believe that inherently, that God has created each of us uniquely and, and that God has, has a hope for our life. And so much of what we read in the scriptures of what Jesus describes for us is Jesus trying to help us better live in the way that God always intended and hoped we might live. Brief example, you think about the Ten Commandments, and you can read those Ten Commandments as like, holy cow, ten really specific rules. Gosh, I guess I just have to do what I'm told. It's one way of looking at it. But I like to look at it as these are the 10 best ways to live. There's this real sense that, you know, if we can live our life in line with the 10 commandments, that we'll be better off as a result. If we live and have no other God but God, that's the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Well, you can hear that as a rule and God just trying to control us. Or you can hear it as like, yeah, like if I just align my life with God and I choose not to be drawn astray by other false gods or narratives, I'll be in a more emotionally, physically healthy place as a result. Jesus says in John chapter 10, verse 10, I came that you might have life and life abundantly. And I really love that idea that Jesus came to help show us the best, most abundant way to live. And so with that understanding, call really fits into all of this as well. God calls us to places where God knows we will be at our best. God is trying to guide us into ways of life that will make us feel most full, most whole, most complete. I've really experienced that um, here as a pastor at Bethany. I was a pastor of a church in Philadelphia. That was very good. And, and I definitely felt like I was called to be there for a period of time. But also, one of my reactions to this whole pandemic thing is just thinking of how difficult and how stressful and how not life-giving it would have been if I had still been leading that church through the pandemic. There's just a variety of factors that would have been incredibly difficult for me. 
And I'm so grateful that I've been able to be here. And, and it's been really clear to me, you know, starting this podcast, all these random things that I've been doing for Bethany during the pandemic, it gives me life. It gives me incredible joy. And it also seems like it's, you know, been very helpful for th- this church as a whole. That's the way that call can line up sometimes. Um, I feel most whole and complete and the place that I'm, um, you know, that I've been called to serve feels better for my presence in having been here. I hope that's not out of line to say, but it's certainly, um, that, that's my sense of things at the moment. The other piece that I just want to say that I worked into the poem, but wanted to give some m- more detail to, is this idea, again, that not that God is the the chess master, just moving the pieces around the board, but the way that I described it in the poem is that God is pulling us into the future. Let me say a little more about that. God exists in a way that is beyond our understanding of time and space. We make our way through each day in a very linear fashion. You can only go forward in time each day. You can't go back in time as much as I would love that. And as much as I read books about that, we just have to move forward. It's very linear. It is one directional. But God doesn't, isn't constrained to time in the same sense. God is this supreme almighty being and God exists in a way that's completely outside of time. When we say that we die and enter eternal life, yes, we move into eternity. We move into a way and a space that is beyond the constraints of time. But with that then, that means that God is already in the future. God exists in a way that isn't contained by having to wait for the future. God's already in the future. And so there's this theologian, Lutheran theologian, Ted Peters, and he writes in his book, God, the World's Future, which is a super dense book I had to read in seminary, but truth be told, I loved it. It's amazing. But Ted Peters writes about how God is in the future and is pulling us towards this promised future. It's not that God's pushing or moving pieces around. God's already in the future and is pulling us towards God's self. So call and recognizing God's call, recognizing the way that God is pulling at your life. When we can turn ourselves over to that pull, to that call, we end up in the future with God, in the place where God hopes that we might end up. And this also happens on a big cosmic level too, Ted Peters writes about, that that God is pulling all of creation towards the future, towards the day when God will restore all of creation, put everything back together. So I wanted to give you more details about that. I, I touched on a lot of this and, you know, I talk about, you'll notice if you listen to the poem again, I use that word pull in many different ways throughout the poem to kind of start to get at this idea. Yeah, God's not pushing us to the places that we maybe don't want to go. What if God is pulling us to the places where we need to be? Wow, it gives you such a different understanding of this sense of call and and what God might be trying to do with your life. So anyways, there's a, a brief, like, theological uh, debrief of this poem that I offered to you. I hope you enjoyed it. Please let me know what you think or if you have more questions. This is a lot of complicated stuff. Uh, but again, I, I hope you start to get a glimpse of just how beautiful this understanding of call can be. I always just had thought about it as like, yes, God, like, calls us to places and so we have to go even though we really don't want to. Um, but that wasn't the experience of the disciples whatsoever. 
the disciples, as I kind of mentioned in the poem, they were fishermen and that's not where they wanted to be. And then Jesus's call to them allowed them to move into a new way of life where they felt more whole and more complete than they ever were going to feel as just simple fishermen in Galilee. The other part I should mention, I thought I was about to wrap up. You thought I was about to wrap up. I've got more to say. Hang on. (laughs) Is I talk to, Jesus says in this passage from Matthew, come you fishermen and I will make you fishers of men. It's that famous phrase. And what I discovered recently about these words is just the way that Jesus is taking who the disciples were and is then recasting it. And so that's a part of call as well, is that we don't have to think of our past as abhorrent. That's one of the lines in the poem. Our past is not abhorrent. It just lacks a little imagination. That's the way that I put it in the poem. But it's this idea that God can take who you have been or what you have done, and then God finds a new way to use it for God's purposes. We see this, you know, you hear stories about it all the time, about the former addict who now runs a recovery ministry, the former incarcerated individual who now runs a prison ministry. This happens in all sorts of little ways where God takes who you have been and then says like, hey, why don't we just shift that a little bit and think about it in this way? Growing up, I wanted to be a sportscaster. That's all I wanted to do. And really what I wanted to do is I wanted to sit behind a desk and talk to people about something I care about deeply. You will notice that right now I am sitting behind a desk and talking to all of you about something I care about deeply. It's not what I had originally envisioned, but there's still pieces of that still there. God took who I had been and what I thought I wanted to do And just kind of worked with it a little bit and recast it and broadened it into this ministry that I now find myself in. It's just one small example, but it's uh, that same idea. Come, you fishermen, and I will make you fishers of men. Taking who they were and rebranding it, recasting it for God's purposes. Anyways, there's some thoughts about call. There's a theological debrief of this poem that I wrote and uh, spoke to you. I hope you enjoyed it. I thank you all, as always, so much for listening. Stay in peace, everyone.